Shopamaniacs. You are listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris. Yeah, what's up, dude? Oh, you know, just uh, remember that like last week, talked about WYSIWYGs for like 45 minutes. Remember oh, no, that? actually, I do remember because I almost I made fun of you a little bit because we talked about it was like Quill or was Quill the good one or the bad one? Quill was the good one I was using. Yeah, I was into Quill. It had a few issues. Remember, like the ULs. In the LIs. Oh, yeah. Weird. That's right. Like to do a nested to do a nested list, it was like, I'll just add a class to the same level of ULs, which didn't seem like the most ideal output. Although I, I am curious, like what if you ask for the HTML that Quill produced, was it right then? And it just so happened that no, inside the editor. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was, no, it was not. Yeah. Right. So I when the output did HTML without the styles they had where it was just a it was even worse. A, it was just a flat list, you know? And so yeah. anyway, I got into a bind. It was like the version that supported the tables plugin was version two, but the version that had the correct OL and UL stuff, but not even the net, but not the nesting, just OL and UL themselves. Uh, that one, that's on one three seven. Like the, the change hadn't gone up to the two. Oh, so they, re- they regressed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I and then I was just like, man, this is not going well. So I deleted it. I deleted the branch and I went to a fourth or fifth. I like looked at every single. I went. I went on GitHub. You know how GitHub people put up those awesome lists. I know what is up with awesome, like awesome webpack or whatever, and it's just yeah, yeah. lists of stuff that yeah. sometimes it's not actually awesome. But no, um, like so, I found probably the least awesome, awesome list, awesome Wizzawigs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then there but was a hundred of them because we've mouth blogged them on this on, on here. CK editor, uh, FKC editor, uh, tiny MCE, all these things, and I, I just went through it man and i went to uh there's anyway so quills on there uh but there's this one called slate which looked pretty good oh yeah i remember that uh slate's kind of cool um and extensible and stuff like that has a lot of stuff so you've given up on quill and now you're and you're (laughs) and you're shopping i'm shopping there's tricks from Basecamp, which is um kind of their take on the editor um you know, a base camp's uh, mixed reviews. But there. if you use it, though, you can't talk um, about politics in the text area. Yeah, you, if you blog politics in the text area, you're out. You're, like, done. You just pack up and leave. Um, and then there was uh, there was another one. Jot it, like, looked actually kind of good. I don't know. But, uh, and then there's, like, draft from from Facebook, but it's all in React and stuff like that. But I ended up going with this one called Tip Tap, which we talked about in like episode 486 or something, 489, whenever we talked about WYSIWYGs. I think I can. It seems pretty beloved because you were journey, you were doing this journey in the Discord a little bit. And uh, and then by the one that when you mentioned Tip Tap, everybody's like, oh, yeah, the good one. <laughs> 488. It was when we were talking about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And people were like, oh, yeah, that one's great. And I'm like, you should have. But anyway, TipTap <laughs> is based on Prosmere, which we love Prosmere because it's from the sister of Codemere, right? Um, yeah. But it's kind of a wrapper around that. Yeah, uh, it kind of has the bus factor of one thing going on, though. But Prosmere, yeah, but, but still, I feel like... It's, we're, I don't know. CodePen has been on the, in that bucket for over 10 years now, so... Right, right. Going like, well. Yeah, maybe this thing, like, no one knows how to work on if, if something goes wrong there, but... Um, but it is kind of a I, – I just think like – anyway, there's a lot of people involved. There's a big community. It seemed – this one has 54 issues, not 1,000 issues uh, and stuff like that. So hmm. um, let me let me just – Anyway, yeah. it looks good, right? But what, what, you had a checklist though. It's like – it's got to like, I don't know, be a text area. And so you can it's bold and italic. You wanted tables because that was – Tables quite, was sort of And critical. image uploading. That was a big one, right? Image uploading. And TipTap does not have native image uploading uh, in yet. And so you have to like go to like a gist or somebody did it in, you know, like uh, so it has APIs that support it, but it's just not an, a first class citizen. Right. Cause, cause the way they do it, it's just like, uh, just give us a URL. And we can put an image in the image component, but like, so it's up to you to figure out how to make the modal or the uploader or whatever you're doing to get an image URL. So, okay. 
I wish it was more like out of the box for dummies, you know? Um, but maybe it will be one day with, with a friggin' dialogue in the mix, you know, maybe it will actually. It's also get... not free. It looks like. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it is free, but then if you want to, they have like a new, new version coming out and they, with some like pro features. And so you can like get into that and I couldn't even tell you what like a pro feature is, but it's usually like okay. multiple concurrent users. So like more of like a paper doc or a Google docs. Or something. Yeah. But that's, that's a pros mirror thing too. So it's not like they invented that. What is it? I can't even, they don't, it didn't even say they have all the prices, but they don't say what the features are here. I can maybe find one for you in the docs. I, I'm very familiar with the docs now. But one oh, thing there's is some nice upcoming like, features. Emoji annotation. That's good. Uh, blocks, block, block style, which we talked extensively about in a pre. That's cool. Collapsible content showing invisible characters. Okay, so they have ideas, but they're not, they don't look like they're done yet. Yeah, unique IDs for, I guess, editors and stuff like that. So anyway, or even maybe blocks and stuff like that. So yeah, it's kind of actually kind of morphing into like, I've seen like block editor treatments. We're not going to do that. We just want the Wizard Week. But I ended up on TipTap. I thought the listeners would want to know. Uh, it is sure. pretty but, great. Uh, what are actually, the chances so. that next week you're going to tell us it's another... Don't curse me. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dave uh, went through his backlog and he needs to move on to other jokes so, <laughs> real fast. So anyway, I, uh, it's, I, you know, it's good enough. And I made an issue for the image uploader. That'll be done uh, by me in Q2 2022. We'll figure it out later. But um, I, I just, I want it, but it, it's just like, I'm, it'll happen later. So <laughs> that's yeah, fair enough. What it looks it? like you can support it. Maybe by then you can pay the 22 pounds and somebody will have written it for you as a pro plugin. I will. I actually, you know, I've been thinking there's a, today, even as we're recording this century is putting on this, like GitHub open source maintainership thing. Okay. Uh, and this experience with Quill actually has me thinking about it because like Quill, Quill has like 1000 issues, 78 open pull requests, or 1000 open issues. And then if you go to like the insights and look at the like forks, you know, uh, forks, there's like a thousand open forks, you know? Um, and it's just because somebody found a fix and they had to fork it to put the feature in the thing, you know, like they, they, so a and lot they of have to are, keep it on GitHub because their thing probably, they probably NPM pull directly from their fork. Yeah. So like, it's, you know, I, I, there's a sign like there's some maintainership problems there. And so anyway, Sentry's putting on this like GitHub maintainership webinar thing with a bunch of a panel with a bunch of people. Um, and I'm really interested in that because this whole experience has me thinking about like, how do you do maintainership? Like, and why is it not taught? You know, you, you can't go to like GitHub slash learn and learn about maintainerships. You can learn about like how to spin up new repos, how to spin up GitHub actions and charge yourself more money, how to, you know, uh, SSH keys, but you don't learn like effective issue management. Right. And effective like community. And you could have this whole thing and and learn deeply about it and how to manage it in the best way. But you might as well say up front, they're like, oh, yeah. And the hourly rate for that, Dave, is zero dollars and zero cents. So just do that in your free time while you're trying to manage your career, too. Yeah, that's the thing that blows my mind. It blows my mind that it exists at all. I know that like I know that that's sad. So I'm like kind of a crappy person to talk about this. But I would I would never Never. <laughs> I would never open souls a project. No. <laughs> I just well, wouldn't. I would just be like, I would do what TipTap is doing, maybe. I would say that's mm-hmm. that's open source, but I have a very clear and strong money plan for this thing. And I would do better than TipTap. Sorry, TipTap. But I would say that there's a very limited free plan and the pro plan unlocks all the stuff that you actually want. Because there has to be money or I'm out. You know, I'm not going to sit there and baby your little issues for no money. It's not happening. It's just my personality. You know? Well, and that's, I think like part of it too, right. Is like, I, like, how do you effective monetization? Not like we need to monetize, you know, <laughs> like open source so much, like, uh, but just like how, how to get supporters, like, is there tips and tricks or like, what can you do to get 
supporters, you know, is there feature breaks? Is there support systems, you know? Yeah, did, yeah. but the, like, also like what works and what doesn't because buy me a coffee as cool as that little app is or whatever. And I know people like it and that's not doing it for anybody. No. You know what I mean? So what, what works? Well, you can look at the big dogs, you know, look at automatic, all their work is open source and they make a billion zillion dollars on the things that they do. Right. So it can work if you really knock it out of the park. But there's like a lot of space between automatic and I don't know uh, your open source React slider or whatever. Right. Well, and, and does every open source project need to be a company? Like, does Eleventy need to be an LLC that has you know what <laughs> you know a chair and five whatever co chairs and then like. Maybe, like, maybe it does though, because that one's big enough and long last enough and at the foundation of enough websites that that one probably kind of does need that kind of government. I feel like you've, we've seen monetization moves in the past. Um, large JavaScript blogs <laughs> who shall remain nameless. Um, you know, in, in you're kind of just like, what's going on? Like what? Well, this seems to be impacting the product in a, in a different way. So I don't know, you know, um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I, I just want to know like, what's the effective or, and then even like, why doesn't GitHub help people? <laughs> like they're like, Hey, this project's like really popular, uh, but very poorly maintained. Maybe we could send some people over to like help them maintain it, you know, or like get, a, get it on the rails. Like here's our three day, crash course to get in your project up and like back to healthy, you know, like what, what do you get the sense? We didn't actually hear anything from Quill or anything. Not that people monitor shop talk show for, for news alerts here or anything, but it does seem to me still. And I, I'm about to, I was, I felt guilty about this and I'm going to feel even more guilty about it. It feels like Quill is in one of those kind of sad state kind of things. I'd love to know if they, if they think that's true or if they've just completely stopped caring or if they really care and they actually think their project is going fine. Thank you very much. Well, it, what's interesting is it, it's, uh, it looks like it has like two core creators, maintainers, and they're all tied to a product called Slab, which is kind of like a Notion notebooky product. Okay, project that's management good, management. right? Like we, so we open source the thing that our product uses, and we can't look care actually a little bit more about our product, but hey. Right. And so that's good as long as that company stays alive, or as long as these guys still work at this company, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so it's in use, but but the needs or the the desires of it are probably very tied to the business goals that that business is going through. Um, I thought in my like consumership, uh, I, I just was like, you know what would help me is like a roadmap. Like maybe you could just use GitHub projects and show like our way on our way to version two or milestones or something. Uh, and just show like what features are going in version two. Are they underway? Are they in progress? Cause, cause that's the thing people look at too. They're like, it looks like V2 is never going to happen. So it would be cool to communicate it visually or mm. issually or whatever, however you want to do it, how far version two is to being released, but they're probably actually doing all their stuff in some other. Yeah. And it's like, it's a little difficult to say stuff like that. I understand the hesitation to not kind of like announce what's going to happen. Cause I think a lot of people's lives are like, you know, any given Sunday you could, you could have a huge burst of energy and be like, I'm going to finish this. I, I'm mm -hmm. like super into it right now or have like, you know, your car breaks down and you're like, you know what? I hate that project. I'm just going to never work on it again. And that could be like one day of, ch of change, you know, and well, you're like, and, but like, again, that's like, it would be cool if there's some education or whatever, like then tell people that like, just tell people you don't want to work on it anymore. <laughs> tell people you think you shouldn't use it. You know, like I'm going through that with my little jQueries. Like, you know what? Like CSS does this now. So maybe don't use this. Don't use FitVids. Like, don't use fit text. Don't. Oh use yeah, fit, fit fit fits is out now. That aspect ratio is all the way dropped. So like, I'm I'm just like, you know, let's just deprecate it. So say goodbye and put a little notice on there. You don't mm -hmm. need this anymore. Rip it right. out of your code base. I agree. I mean, I'm not saying anti-education for sure. I think that's that's true. I wonder if the weight is harder between certain scope of projects. You know. Yeah, definitely. I think there's like. Um, 
like this is a WYSIWYG, probably thousands of users, clearly. I mean, it's got like yeah. thousands of forks. I mean, like, how do you how do you manage all those expectations? You know, a thousand people. So like, is there something I, I was talking to Zach Leatherman about it? Maybe we should get like, maybe we should get like open source maintainers on the show and, and talk, <laughs> talk this out. Therapy. I actually have some guest ideas and some stuff in the works. So it's not the Chris and Dave show. It's fun. We had a little run there because we had to, but next year I'm sure we'll, we'll get the guest train rolling again. No, but uh, so I was talking to like uh, uh, Zach Leatherman, a little bit, but you know, he's, I, I just was like, I would love to know how you manage 11 you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And he was like, well, one, I deprioritize new features as much as possible. Say no by default. That's number one. Number two, every project needs, uh, Peter DeHaan, who's like a, a QA at Mozilla, but probably just, he's running project management basically or something or issue management. Okay. Or something. Yeah. Kind of volunteer again, like, uh, or paid. I don't know what, I don't know his life, but, uh, anyway, and then, uh, he's number three is he's like, it's annoying. Most companies won't donate, um, and they need to be sold on something. So uh, kind of back to your thing. It's like, if a company's going to invest in it, they want to make sure they're getting something in return. They want to make sure they're getting a kickback, a feature set, a new thing, a thing, you know, um, otherwise companies won't commit code or commit dollars to, to fund the code that they're using mm. on their entire marketing site. <laughs> so, you know, that, I, I think that's like, it is like, there's this three part thing is how do you solve the, the scope of the project? How do you solve the like issue management or project management and then, or QA and how do you solve the like funding of this development as well? You know, I don't want millions of dollars to work on Fitbits. I don't think that, I think that's stupid. But like, you know, if I, I think of like accessibility project, it would have been a lot easier if I could have like bought months of my time to go work on that or something like that, you know? So yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, I could see when, when, when somebody's feeling down then it feels like just an absolutely broken system. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a really good, I'm blogging on this in my blog post that I never released, but, um, uh, Jacob Thornton's 2012.js talk, uh, uh, why, what is open source and why do I feel so guilty? Um, anyway, that's like the best, that's a good one, best talk on open source I've ever watched. And I watch it frequently. So it's kind of like a history of open source, but then it's just like, why are people so, why is this such a drain on my soul, my life force? So, Oh God, that makes me sad. Well, yeah. Right. It's not fair. Shouldn't be that. Right. Right. So, This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Backlight. That's backlight.dev. It is no joke the most impressive tool I've ever seen for working with design systems. It's really worth checking out. Here's one way to frame it. Let's start in reverse. What's like the best thing possible for a design system? It's that ending moment where you have this beautiful design system and it's published to NPM and anybody that wants to use it, particularly people in your organization, like NPM install the thing and use it. So that's like done. Backlight totally helps you get from starting the thing all the way there. At kind of its core, it's this in-browser IDE for your design system. So you can look at your design system and reference it and see it and know what's available and it's just anybody can do it and look at it and use it but you can also work on it in there too because that's where the, you can see the code in there and edit the code and work on the design system in there too so that's just all amazing to begin with and then it's not you know before it goes to nbm it's a git repo too so there's not they're not even trying to lock you into anything here these are all like industry standard tools that we're using it just helps you get one started work on it talk about it work on it with your team and ultimately even get it to npm it's just this amazing full kind of end-to-end system for design systems that you really need to check out it's uh, absolutely impressive thanks for the support brand new sponsor backlight.dev All right. Well, I mentioned automatic. We have a question, a, a quickie WordPress question from Frederick Ekeland. What role do you assign client users 
on WordPress websites? Do you give them admin or editor or whatever? In WordPress admin and probably most apps, admin's usually the most powerful role, except for owner. If there happens to be an owner role, usually that's like even up above and beyond admin. Uh, WordPress has lots of roles. Uh, what, four or five, I think, but out of the box? Yeah, um, like guest, admin, author. Yeah. Is there an editor? Yeah, editor's one for sure. And, and I, I, I think, uh, like, for example, an author can, like, create a post but not publish it. And an editor can edit their posts and publish, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if it's a client, I mean, there's no one answer to this. You know, I, I would think a lot of people give admin because it's like, hey, it's their money. It's their website. Why would you limit your own client's access to the thing? It's probably better to give them admin access and educate them rather than try to block them from doing anything. But I could see the editor role as being pretty good, too, because it, you know, it might prevent them from breaking their site so much. But editor is pretty powerful. They can still change content a bunch. I think it's they just can even, me- like install plugins and stuff like that at that level right so perhaps and you know what i would say i i use this and have used this plugin there's some kind of user role editor plugin for wordpress that allows Mm -hmm. you to invent new roles and fine grain change the permissions i've used that for a long time uh, just because i like that kind of fine grain control i would uh, so i I don't know what to say frederick like you know probably admin if you're not worried that they're going to break the site or editor if you are worried they're going to break the site or maybe even author or maybe even no role if you're really worried they're they could break their own stuff i mean that's just there's no one answer to that i'm afraid and you probably know that I, I would take the moment to mention, though, that I, this is an interesting topic that I think is is probably, like, underserved of, like, why WordPress? Not that I continuously need to, like, dredge this up, but it's, like, the fact that they have really nice auth and role management is a pretty big reason right there. And then if you're, like, going to pick, like, oh, I'm going to pick some other stack just because I think it's, like, more modern and hot. Totally get it. I pick modern hot stacks sometimes, especially when it's just me and I can I can rock that. But when multiple people are involved, the fact that you get auth, no brainer auth, and fine grained permission control for people to do things on the website is no joke. That's great. That's great. Huge. I mean, that's and and it like mostly works out of the box. You have to kind of work hard to break it. To like give something to somebody, yeah, yeah, and there's password resets, and and you can customize those, and yeah, and the, oh, you want to have social auth too? We can do that, or log in with WordPress and just design the login page. It's just it's all just works, and that that kind of thing is like not to be discounted, you know. Like sure, you know, the, you, there's other auth products out there. They're pretty neato too, but they're kind of a. Uh, there, there's, there's, they're going to be more work. They're going to be more technical debt for you, and that's just a trade-off you're going to have to think about. But yeah, yeah. Or they're like bolt-on. It's like, like as much as I like Auth Zero or something like that. It's like cool. Now I got to like bounce out to this Auth Zero website, and then it'll send me back or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, I would say definitely the people who sign the checks uh, <laughs> make them admins, just because if. Mm-hmm. That relationship goes sour. You want to be like, you have everything you need, my guy. So goodbye. Uh, but also, it's just, you know, it's theirs. Make them the admin. But, yeah. I, you know, if somebody's just, like, going to write, um, like, if it's just a group, whatever, everyone, I would make author the default role. And then if somebody is, uh, like, just, hey, they're in, they're in charge of the publishing schedule of the content, like the content manager or something like that, make them an editor, just give them the power to do what they need to do. So, yeah, uh, I had a forums on the site for a long time. And then the roles got all twisted up into that. Cause you can be a moderator and a different, different forumy stuff in there with BB press. And I'm sure buddy press has its own roles and stuff. And I love that, that the plugins can kind of tap into that and extend it and do, do stuff. Uh, here's another one, Raphael Ferrand. Hey guys, love the show. Thanks, Raphael. Thank love you. you too. Lately, I keep hearing about micro front ends. What is it? What are the benefits and uh, advantages, disadvantages, kind of thing? I haven't heard that word in a while. It had a stay in the sun maybe a year or two ago. 
people were saying micro front ends a lot. I think it had to do with like, there's a little part of the app and it not only is built independently, but even as so far as deployed independently, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we have, like maybe you're on the weather widget team and you get to make your own tech choices and do all your own stuff and ship it to the website totally independently. It doesn't have to go out with the rest of the entire website. Yeah. And I think some people like that and certainly some companies benefit from that, but I don't see it as have having taken off as a trend in 2021, nor do I see it taking off as a trend in 2022. By the way, weren't we going to do a show like that? I think we should do that. Oh, One of those like yeah. what happen in 2022. So if you want to write in and tell us what you think is going to happen. Let us know. That would um, be neat. This is, yeah, it's, um, it, you know how you, when you go to Amazon and every page of Amazon looks a little bit different. Like it was coded by a different department that doesn't exactly talk to each other. Sure. Perhaps a six pe pe person team, a two pizza team <laughs> created one page and a two pizza team created the other page. Um, that's what I think of when I think of micro front ends. Um, it's just very disparate experiences. I, I think there's like degrees, sliding scales of granularity you can do there. Um, because you go to like Apple, I think each department in Apple kind of has its own uh, department, you know, like like they, they kind of do things a little bit differently. But I do think they're like store product, how they sell things is all unified. But if you go to like whatever, the human interface guidelines, that looks different. You know, the docs or something like that. That's a slightly different, but the same design language. Um Mm -hmm. So I just say, I think in order to make a micro front end work, you need a design system, like a series of components that can deploy every single micro project, micro backend can consume to spit out a front end in a consistent fashion. They, it will, it won't be consistent, but, but you need some sort of toolbox uh, to do that. Uh, or maybe it's even as simple as like a shared tailwind config or something, but then you're going to, you know, People are going to write their own things. Um, but anyway, I, I think like you need a consistent design system in place before you kind of approach the micro front ends. Otherwise you're going to get going to be a danger, 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 danger. And I've even seen, you know, like the, you know, the islands architecture sort of like, yeah, every, I was going to bring that up too, but slightly different, but similar, I think slightly different, but it's just like every, like the header of your, Website is its own island. The sidebar is its own island. The footer is its own island. And maybe those are maintained by separate teams entirely. And your page just sort of stitches up these islands or these components together. Yeah, um, right. That can be good or bad. I think what got mixed up with micro front ends is that there was this, I don't think they shied away, whatever the proponents of it were, from saying that one of these micro front ends could be in React and the other one could be in Vue and, that, and that's fine. Who cares? Like the, that each the, those teams can make those things. And like old timers like me were like, what? Absolutely not. But they were yeah. like, whatever, old man, like the times are changing. These Some of these libraries are only 30K. Who cares? You know? And I was mm -hmm. like, well, I don't know. I just do care still. Convince me otherwise, you know? And they were, and they were all, almost to the point of like, they're almost like iframes, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I, I website, think they maybe right? stopped short of saying literally iframes, but maybe not sometimes. They're like, yeah, maybe sometimes, you know? But that's not. I mean, imagine a the header team being constrained to an iframe not gonna have a drop down hanging off of that sucker you know yeah anyway uh, yeah no i mean i think that's like part of the i don't know i i think there's this dream state among programmers this is what i call it hawaii this is what i call i call it hawaii like everyone doesn't want the monolith because oh that's the big slow monolith you know we gotta have the distributed thing and you're like, okay, cool. You want just a bunch of people doing their own friggin'. You want the Confederacy. You don't want the federal where it's governed. You want the Confederacy where everything, everyone does their own thing. Uh, yeah. And then people are like, no, no, no. We want it beautiful, fully isolated, separated, encapsulated, but they all work together in unison. And it's like, you want Hawaii. There's like only one Hawaii, man. <laughs> There's maybe two, three Hawaii's out there. And uh, these islands to get them to work together is very difficult. Like it's not, it's not just that easy. So I see. 
Yeah, Hawaii. Yeah. People want Hawaii. Everyone wants yeah. Hawaii. And that, maybe the island's architecture works in that way. I think that, that more and more frameworks are starting to pick that up as like, this little piece of your app might have some JavaScript in it, but it's all kind of like scoped. And it's not an iframe, but it might, you know how Astro has the like, only, only load this island when needed. So it yeah. has... It has not only the tree shaking and kind of what's the other thing that goes along with tree shaking, the only load it when you need it. Oh, like a conditional loading. Yeah. Like, right, but and and they and they it, that sometimes is like, well, what's the URL? Like, if it's not on that page, then don't load that JavaScript. You know. Um, but but it can go farther than that. It can go. Is it visible even if it is matching that route? Mm-hmm. Is the browser idle? then can I load it and that type of thing and that type of stuff I believe is what has been come to be known as islands architecture and knowing that they're all on the same page then doesn't free you up to write in eight different frameworks you know ironically Astro does help you write in multiple frameworks but usually when you're doing that the the best practice is that it's, it's all the JavaScript is being stripped away. So it's just a different way to generate HTML. I know yeah. that's a lot to, to digest there, folks. But yeah, Raphael, I'd say that micro front ends is like not a trend that, that super caught on. And Dave listed out the caveats pretty well to it there that you better have a pretty strong, pretty strong model in place before you even start thinking about that. Yeah, I think you need it or else it's just chaos. So, and then mm-hmm. you're... Your existing, your every project, every micro, every page of your app you hop in to work on is fully friggin' different. No thanks. This one's yeah. in Bootstrap. This one's in Tailwind. This one's in Adonis. This one's in you know or what? Like no. It's way. one of those things. You know how you know like Jeremy Keith talks about. There's two classes of tools. There's tools that help the developer, and then there's tools that ultimately get shipped to users. Mm-hmm. So something like jQuery is like that ended up being user facing because it literally has to be downloaded by users. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a different class where he would consider SaaS a just developer only facing tool because we use the tool, but what ultimately goes to the user is CSS. So the user is not influenced by the tool, even though whatever it kind of is a little bit. Because, for example, you could write some gnarly ass SaaS and ship some gnarly CSS to users, and then it's like, hey, well, SaaS really is inflecting users. But I, that's just a caveat. I think he's right on generally with that distinction, uh, mm-hmm, in a way, mm-hmm. in that in that some of this is is related to that in a way that micro front ends is a is is something that's just for you. That's just for your organization. The users do not care. So you've you've implemented this thing that at best is going to be level with not doing it, but chances are it's going to hurt the user experience because it's going to be all disheveled and loading extra crap it doesn't need to load and all that stuff. So you've 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 pushed that to the users. You've pushed this like crappier experience just to solve some internal debates just because you were sick of having too many meetings or whatever. <laughs> I. It happens more often than you hope. I mean, uh, and then too, like, you know, it's like, well, the offshore team or the vendor said they could do all the pages for us. So we're just going to outsource it to them. You know, like we're going to cut a corner here, you know, and, you know, those pages come back weird and different. So what do you do? So Yeah. Well, let's just keep beating a dead horse here. I got a, a interesting one that's been on my radar a little bit since like mm-hmm. the end of November. Oh, say it was you know Bramus Van Damme's excellent blog really has a a bead I think on lots of uh, the, what the most interesting tech front end stuff is happening. So this was back in the end of November. He blogged this, but it was about um, it was an article by Florian Schultz. Why don't we use HTML to author web components? So I figured mm-hmm. Dave probably probably read this one but i it just seemed interesting to me and it, once in a while i'm like i'm like you know it takes me a minute to even understand why it would even matter i'm like i don't know we have web components they seem fine why do we have to constantly talk about this but the way he lays it out is like yeah dang it why can't we do that um so it, it, for example custom dash you know open angle bracket custom dash element source and then link to an HTML file, you know, and have that HTML file be in a format that can boot up a web component. You know, it just seems so compelling to be able to just 
author HTML and have it just be able to kind of boot, bootstrap up web components itself without having to be like, well, I'm going to link up a JavaScript file and use the all the fancy syntax just to basically bootstrap the component so it works that it it works at all it just seems so unfortunate. I know you've said this about eight thousand times in your life, mm-hmm. so. I'm just saying it for you this time. On my, from my perspective, it was like it's surreal. This article exists, you know. It's like it, it's like we've come full circle. Like, man, why why don't we use HTML to author web components? Like, wouldn't that be cool? Uh, like, if there's only a technology that had like HTML templates in it, but it could also like link up CSS and run its own scripts and stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, you know those oh, like HTML. You know those cool single file components everyone's using in all their damn projects? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just friggin' use that, huh? Use Wouldn't that, that be cool? Yeah. And then it would just be use cool. a really awesome fast static site generator to import crap and stitch it all together. That'd be heckin' cool, man. It is a little weird that this exists. It reminds me of like, doesn't that seem simpler? Doesn't that seem easier? Doesn't it seem more natural, more ergonomic? You know, it reminds me of the like in WordPress land, the advanced custom fields. I always feel like it's amazing to me that advanced custom fields way of building a block is like, oh, just make a PHP file and then that can be a block. And I'm like, why does why isn't that the WordPress way of doing it? And the advanced custom field is the fancy React format, but no, it's like exactly flipped. That if you want to use na- and make a native block for WordPress, you got a BYO Webpack. You know, I think I'm old enough to understand. Like, Webpack was good for a time. Like, it served a very, it still serves a very good purpose. You know, uh, for bundling your you know, for years it was bundle all your JavaScript. It's less requests is good for the user. HTTP two comes out. It's like, well, that's not exactly true, but bundle all your stuff, but then split it up intelligently. So like you're only loading what you need to load on the page, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. What do we think the next evolution of that is? Do you, can you see a world where it really actually doesn't matter to bundle? I, I think it's, well, yeah, I think some people are doing it. You know, some people say that they're just doing HTML imports from Snowpack or Skypack or something, whatever. But they're, or sorry, ESM imports. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much in, in this question. Um, like, I, I think the Node ecosystem, NPM, we over, we over microed to where it's like every single function in our project is a file, you know? Like Leftpad, for example, you know, it's, it's like, or Lodash, all of Lodash, you know, like these are just mm-hmm. little functions, uh, that would make great language features, but we are just, we've outsourced it to these, either these really big portions or these really small portions. Um, I, I don't know. I think this, I think this like concept that, that Astro is touching on and Slinkity and stuff, uh, going like, we're actually going to, we're going to, we can have JavaScript, but we're actually only going to ship the stuff we need. And then on top of that, we're only going to load it when we need to load it. I think that's kind of the future. So I'm bullish mm-hmm. on that. I, I just, we kind of went overboard on like everything needs to be in JavaScript and everything needs to be split up in micro and one only everything does one little tiny job. And then we like get into the language and now we can like import one piece of a whole package and then we can shake that out of the package that can only be done in a compiler we can't like if i say import debounce from lodash all of lodash i don't get debounce i get the browser is going to load all of lodash so like maybe these hosting platforms need to help split up things or something like that these or i don't know um maybe there's a tool like an npm style thing that can can intelligently code split for you. So if I say import lodash from or debounce from lodash, maybe I can just say lodash debounce and it'll cut me lodash debounce or something like that. Um yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like yeah. like a tighter scoped something. I don't know. Maybe that's exactly what Skypack did. <laughs> so well uh, yeah did it, Pika. it you could load one dependency but it would those that one was pre bundled. It didn't then trigger 80 more requests yeah i believe that is what it did yeah but you know that said like the the new news like Vite and stuff like that uh, they're big for me in terms of developer productivity because i don't just get 
error on line 10,000 of bundle.js, I get error on line two of my component js so yeah yeah the fact that it does uh source mapping correctly it's not it's not really sites maps but yeah exactly and then but but does it in a way that that means that the uh, the next like ssg or site builder or whatever doesn't have to you just let Vite do it that means they can punt and just be like oh okay so we're gonna use Vite, and Vite means that we don't have to like do our own bundling or anything. We don't have to deal with imports in our own way. We don't have to write our own hot module reloader. We don't have to build our own SSR, server-side rendering. We don't have to like worry about how fast things are because Vite is worrying about how fast things are. You know, we don't have, we have a nice error reporting thing with source maps. So when you make it, if you were to decide to build, you know, the Dave site generator product, you could just say, we're going to use Vite and all that crap is already done. And all I have to do is invent all the little sugar on top that makes yeah. that thing cool. Right. Yeah. That's a big deal. I mean, cause, cause you're like, and, and I like the posture where you're like, I actually don't want to do all the bundling and stuff now. Like Vite's just like, we're just serving you the JavaScript now. Like we'll serve you 10,000 modules. We're not doing all the bundling now. We only do that in production. So the, the environment you author in and the environment you deploy in are different, but maybe there's some uh, tests or tools or maybe you only test with the production bundle or something. Maybe there's tests or tools or something to smooth that gap. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, I have a link in my notes here. What was the article from Matthias Capelito, who's Patek, Patek.dev, linking mm-hmm. to the Vite ecosystem, which is a very, uh, I'd say long blog post, but it's not really, it's just kind of like there's a lot of logos and stuff. It's trying to show you all these tools that relate and how they relate to Vite. So like, well, whose shoulders did we stand on? Who's doing work similar to this, but is different? What frameworks does Vite support? What what frameworks are leaning heavily on Vite? You know, which, what are the plugins involved? How is CSS get involved and whatever? So it's just this huge, the blog post is called the Vite ecosystem. And I thought it was really well done. And then I, while I was thinking about this, I'm like, I should go look, like how long... Vite seems so new, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. A- April 2020. So, so new to have a blog post like this. That's like every major tech term in all of JavaScript focused front end development is here. Yeah. In a year and a half. Wow. You yeah. know, really a blaster. It reminds me of stuff like, you know, VS code where it's just like, Oh, Microsoft made a thing that we can use. Now, 100% of developers use it. You know, 100% is a little extreme, but pretty much, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, it's like weird rapid adoption, sort of. I mean, I, I think it's, I think V, you know, uh, Evan's a very smart person, but I think it just came at the right time, you know? A lot of, there was what, the Webpack 4 to 5 migration was kind of tough, I think, for people. And then I think people are just like, man, this could be faster Yes, modules hit. It's ubiquitous. Like, yeah, boom. Maybe this is yeah, just hit at the right time. Kind of a good pedigree. Good pedigree. I mean, like, you're not honestly. If Dave Rupert had invented Vite, it would not be as possible as popular. I mean, because I'm not a JavaScript whatever. <laughs> Uh, superstar, you know, or whatever. No, nah, you have enough pedigree, though, if you wanted to do something like that, and it was actually good, <laughs> that you would, it would, you have just as much of a chance as maybe, maybe slightly less. Well, I'm not going to give something away for free. I'm going to charge a buck, buck, dollar dollars, you know what I'm saying? So, I not, know, but the not. dude, but he's, Evan's another example of somebody that's got it dialed in, right? He's got the money flowing correctly to the point where it's not a problem. It doesn't seem like anyway. No, no. Well, and I think there's two, like, you know, like a lot of Chinese companies use it because uh, he's of Asian descent. And like, they talk about that in that, that view documentary. I don't know if you, what, I forget who does those honey. Uh, oh yeah. Honey. Well, or pot honey well or do honey pot. Uh, anyway, they, uh, it's a really good documentary, but it's just, you know, 
uh, it took off in in Asia, and a lot of people use it, and I think a lot of big companies use it, and they they give back. You know, I think there's a better culture, and you'll see that I've talked about it on the show before. Like every view mm-hmm. project has a little like how to support this project banner at the bottom. Yeah, what do you think about the the fact that? So that's great that Vue benefits from it and Vite probably by extension are included in that or whatever, but that some of what makes Vite fast is ES build and that's underneath the hood. So like if you're going to, if you have a thousand dollars to give as a company, do you even think about giving some of it to ES build too? Or do you just give it to Vite and hope it trickles down or do you not? It just, you didn't even know that that was built on that. And I'm sure Vite uses other stuff too. It's just kind of one example of a, a thing. Like at what point do you like dig into what dependencies the other thing uses? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I mean, like, I mean, I, I think if you're leveraging it directly, you have a more like, your responsibility is to support the thing that you're leveraging directly. Like I would probably support tip tap over Prosmere, you know, like that's who I'm thinking about giving money to. <laughs> Although I would give money to Prosmere, but um, in hopes that it would either trickle down or if, you know, something happens at the Prosmere level, tip tap has the foundation or the organization financially mm-hmm. to, absorb that change like a breaking change or uh you know a just that developer closes the pro deletes the project you know maybe tip taps like cool we'll assume maintainership because we have the funds or something so i don't know but yeah i don't know if that's a discussion in open source or not or or if it's or, or how big of one it is but it does seem like what if your thing is so fundamental to hundreds of projects but you just are bad at marketing or don't have don't have anything set up correctly and there's all these projects built on top of you making bucks mm-hmm. but not you that well, would suck I, I think that's uh henry zoo from Babel. he's talked about that very openly he's like Babel is on every website yeah and, and here's I, me alone. Yeah. I'm like struggling. <laughs> like, and he said that before, you know, but I think they have, you know, a modest group and, and funding and stuff like that. But, but his, he, he was telling me one time, you know, it's like TypeScript came and, and was like, Hey, we're going to, here's a super pull request to support TypeScript in Babel, you know? And mm-hmm. he's like, cool. Who, who's going to do it? Cause that's like, <laughs> three months of code review or whatever, you know, like I can't just merge this, you know, now I have to come up with a plan. I have to come up with a merge, you know, strategy. Yeah. I have to test it. I have to verify, you know, um, and, and, but, and maybe yeah. Microsoft ended up ponying up bucks, but like, you know, does, know, did Microsoft pay Babel? I don't know. So like, I think there's, I don't know. I, for me, it's like, I need a editor. I'm going to probably give money to tip tap, uh, I give money to Nuxt and Vue already. Um, mm-hmm. I give money to Eleventy. I give you know my open collectives all open for you guys and my sponsorships or whatever. But I I really try to give back as much as I can. Um, yeah. Not it's not like in the tens of thousands. I could probably give more, you know. Um, but it's you know I'm just trying to like I think consistent money is a big deal. So I'm trying to give consistently to different projects. So. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Shortcut. Have you ever been really happy with your project management tool? Most of them out there are either too simple for a growing engineering team or too complex for anyone to really want to use. So Shortcut, formerly Clubhouse, by the way, name change is different. It's built specifically for software teams. It's fast, intuitive, flexible, powerful, and many other nice, positive adjectives. Happy. Shortcut features include team-based workflows, org-wide goals and roadmaps, tight VCS integrations, keyboard-friendly interface, integrations planning. Sign up at shortcut.com slash shoptalk. What a nice URL. Shortcut.com slash shoptalk. Get two months free. Very generous of them. Thank you. You shouldn't have to project manage your project management. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mentioned VS Code quick. It's I don't have anything to say about this yet, but I'm, I'm interested to see if anybody got their hands on Fleet yet. That seems to be the next one that just has any chance of giving VS Code a run for its money. That's Jet, JetBrains' new thing. And it probably will, unlike something like Nova or whatever, which I think is actually pretty good and getting better. It's Mac only, and people just hate that. Anytime hate Nova, really? ever. They hate that it's Mac only. Ah, it's even. Yeah, and it's like, whatever, you know, I, I don't know, like, what, what do you say about that? But I do, now as the leader of a team where people actually are using different um, computers and, and stuff, that it, it does, it is nice to to say, can you please use VS Code, everybody, please? Because then we can put tooling and such inside of it, such that we all share. And so I couldn't be like, I'm but except me, I'm going to use Nova. And, you know, then the tooling is just like a little different not not all the same stuff is supported like our like apollo graphql validator machine thing it's just definitely not in nova right 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 no and that's like as i get further into it it's just like how do i you know do all the plugins work because i really need like eslint and codelint and all that stuff working so i don't have to redo a bunch of work you know um a fleet looks great i mean i have such baggage from from my jet brains life uh, my my former client life there uh so i don't know one thing that's nice is oh it looks like it has multiple people editing that's kind of fun um yeah vs code can do that too but it looks a little cleaner this looks a little better yeah um but uh the code completion in intellisense in intellij like that stuff's, I think, better. I think it's better than even Microsoft does it. It could all be built on Microsoft, but it just, like, it's pretty good. So I think there's reasons to use it. You know, it's definitely, like... Right. That's what JetBrains people say, right, is that you get the, the like, how much it helps you with your code is just way good. Although we'll see how much GitHub Copilot changes that, because mm-hmm. that's not going to work in JetBrains, presumably. Right, right. And it's, people are singing its praises lately. Dude, I mean, that's kind of cool. You can just walk into a repo and hit dot and you're editing it. I mean, that's kind of sick and with your theme and your plugins yeah. and stuff going. I mean, like so. the AI thing. The like oh, the auto- like, oh, Codepilot. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking code spaces. Uh, yeah, Copilot. Like, it just tells me what to code. I don't actually use it. Yeah, I, like how good is your autocomplete if it... I, I I do use it. Okay, it's kind of cool. You like it? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm still it. in the weird getting used to it. Because then I had a weird phase where I was into tab nine for a minute, but I can't really. I oh, whatever. I have thoughts, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but they're they're not fully formed, so I'm not ready to talk about it. At one point, I um, I blogged a couple of years ago on switching code editors, and I feel like it still holds up because it's kind of like. Like, if what is it going to really take to to pull somebody off of something that they really need, you know? And I was talking about it personally, but it felt, like, pretty extensible to other people, too, right? Like, there's some, like, baseline-level stuff that would get you to switch. Like, it's got to have some feature that you think is better, you know, that you're excited to even try. Because why would you even try it if it was just going to be like, oh, this is just exactly the same? Why bother, then? Cool like, sidebar. Is it faster? Does it look better? Yeah, cool side. It have some That's stuff, it. and that nothing can be too obnoxious, right? That you can't, you're not going to get a massive adoption if if it's so different. If there's too many different things, then you're like, oh, you know, you might get some diehards that are into into it, but you know, it, it can't be too different. And I feel like VS Code wasn't that different than Atom and Sublime and stuff that that you could you could switch and it was okay. And then and then the plugin architecture is a big deal. Right? Everybody's different, so you need you need a kind of open way to to be able to change mm-hmm. things i yeah i mean i for me i think like you know i was a big adam fan i i like sublime text but it always i don't know felt java e to me um mm-hmm. the but i liked adam uh it was kind of slow and couldn't open big json files <laughs> that's fine what we figured it out uh but then um I was hesitant about going to VS code, but then I just, a lot of stuff is integrated into VS code, like your terminal and then your terminal can like, just, you can hit F five or whatever it is on Mac and like start a server. Uh, just like you're starting a server and then you can do step in debugging. I thought that was cool. Um, 
uh, like that you couldn't do on Atom. You probably can now. Um, the built-in terminal was cool because I just saw my problems in my code editor. I didn't have a separate window. Um, ended up just liking it more. Um, I, I don't know yeah. if I like the look and feel of it more than than Atom or anything. But this... Uh, this it does fleet. feel like it could use a new coat of paint. Doesn't that VS go a little, little corporate? Getting a little tight, right? Getting a little corporate. But what I, what's neat about uh, JetBrains' thing is um, having Git right in the the like its files Git history or whatever in their little uh, uh, file. You panel. don't do Git anything in VS Code. I feel like it's like maybe not a super first class. I do. Thing. Well, I have like ten. I have 10 extensions. I have Git lens. I have the Git thing, the GitHub. Pull I have request the one. pull yeah. request. I use commits like to stage files sometimes, you know, um, mm-hmm. I just did my, I, I feel like some of that stuff could be better. Like the, like commit splitting and stuff like that isn't good. You know, merge merging in VS codes actually awesome. Like, you can like, although the words are always weird, like approve change, approve current, you know, you're like, I don't know which one is which. <laughs> wow, why is that yeah. so hard? My I God, no Git tool makes that like a thousand percent clear, you no, know? No, it's like accept head, accept, you know, remote, or, you know, or I'm, it's even yeah. worse word, accept current and accept head. And you're like, dude, I don't, which one's the good one? And if I, I think accept- Tower says like, like, Except theirs or take mine or something, which is like, oh man, that makes me even more confused. It's like they're both mine, kind of. They're, yeah, I want that. I want. I just want it to work. And then you get to the end of the big merge, and there's like seven hundred of those like dash 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 things or whatever in there. So you can't win. Merge conflicts are never a win. So. <laughs> No, we have a, just because I have one last one on here, we'll do a, we'll do a fast, hard stopper here. Just, I just want to mention it real quick because Ryan Filler said that, wrote in and said he added coil to his site, which me and you have done in the years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a little web uh, monetization API thing, which I feel still like, like begrudgingly bullish on. Like, I still think those APIs are a good idea, but now it's like years and years later and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of movement on it. Anybody that's ever used coil knows that you make about a quarter a quarter <laughs> yeah as in 25 percent cents every three months it's very light as far as what you're going to earn on it but the point of it was more like this is going to get big should these should this actually drop in browsers and there's competition and and the world of it expands a little bit uh, but it just hasn't happened so i just don't know what to think about it. i don't think anybody should run off doing this because i feel like it just does not have any momentum at the moment really slow and, you know, maybe if everybody did run out to do it, that's the momentum it would need. So there's some chicken and the egg stuff happening there. But man, and then here's, but here's what I was really getting at is that the only way you can get your money out of coil is to attach it to a wallet, right? Mm-hmm. And you have two choices. And even the two it used to just be one. There's an online bank thing called Uphold and there's an online bank thing called GateHub and it supports them both. You're probably going to end up picking Uphold because it supports way more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And I still have my Uphold account and money comes into it. You know, I think by default it's XRP or whatever, but you can kind of pick. I think I have mine in USD, you know, so it comes across in literal pennies uh, and all that. But then it, now you're kind of, if you're going to tiptoe into the world of crypto and stuff, you've done it because that's what this like Uphold wallet pretty much is is a crypto wallet mm-hmm. you know so uh i don't know if you can buy through apple or whatever but at least it's going to hold on to your stuff and i just don't know like it, it it feel i think it felt shady to ryan a little bit like oh you gotta you know in order to even get your money out then it's it's like a real bank so you know you got to get cough up your social security and wire it up to your actual bank and you know i think it's all pretty much legit but it does feel a little bit like what am i doing here exactly <laughs> well, and that's this is the crypto world, man. Like I've been, whatever I've been following it, and I, yeah. I downloaded a stock, uh, a fake stock stimulator simulator. Like so, I, I'm simulating my in crypto investments, and I've lost a bunch of money. 
uh, fake money. Uh, uh, I know. It's great. I even, uh, I even have a little crypto, mostly thanks to this uphold thing that we've talked about before, and I'm freaking way down too, man. I've been at it for years and I'm down. Yeah. So how's that for you? Um, and <laughs> I'm not even counting the 200 XRP I lost in my migration to uphold. Um, so anyway, uphold is like, yeah, I, I think this whole crypto thing decentralized or whatever, so you have to like plug in your MetaMask to go to your Coinbase, to go to your, you know, to your Uphold, to get into the, like. Oh, that's so, that's so, like, there's literally like hundreds more. Yeah. So, like, it's the most complicated thing. Oh, if you thing. want to sell something on your OpenSea or your foundation or you got to do the, we got connector ball. I just. I'll tell you, I've been playing with this a little bit more too. I use in the, the, the soup for, for. Mine has been Tezos Te- is the coin. What is that? What is that one? Yeah, Te- Tezos, T-E-Z-O-S. And it's the one that's a little bit like ETH, but is like, I don't, I can't speak super intelligently about it, but is more ecologically cool, right? Okay. Right. So I get some Tezos and that's one because, because, because I have to pay attention to this because of the CodePen community mm-hmm. is generative art. And a lot of NFTs are bought with crypto, which are, you know, of art, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right, and whatever. So, fxhash.xyz is a big one that's all generative NFTs, but you know, I think Tezos is the is the main money that you need to use that one. And mm-hmm. then there's there's a couple other, you know, so you can have your own soup of websites, literally. Because I've even gone so far, Dave, and, you know, you know, if, if this means we have to stop being friends, it's cool. But I own an NFT now. Whoa. I own a, got, a, got one of those ones. Dude, I got questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at the docs for making an NFT because I'm like, if it's all based on this Tezos thing, that's just, you know, it's this boring coin that, you know, isn't really, nobody's getting rich on it. It just happens to be the foundation of these NFTs. It like doesn't seem so bad to play with, you know, mm-hmm. from like kind of just gambling, fun, adult little project. And there's like, the docs are like kind of fun. I'm like, wow, I could build one of these. And it kind of makes me want to try it just from a like, fun exploratory kind of vibe yeah did you I'm, uh did you read robin sloan's uh nft story uh uh no i mean i know that we talked about him in based on the web three thing that he wrote yeah um but it's not he he wrote a like notes on web three which is a really good post but kind of the predecessor to that was um he like um <laughs> He like made a, he like minted one of his stories or something or a sure, book or yeah. something like that. So, and, and then like he found out how much carbon he just burned. He like was like, I basically oh. just burned a barrel of oil in my front yard, you know? Um, I don't know. I just was like, but then he probably put it on OpenSea or something, right? That seems to be the big one, which is only ETH, and ETH is just verifiably bad. But there's other ones that don't well, use ETH. Better, so dude, yeah, it's like, well, that that yeah. I mean, I agree, it's not better, so don't use that one. But what if your all everything you ever did was all on Tezos? Mm, maybe not as bad. Then I don't know. Yeah, I'm, no, my my don't talk to me. I'm not. I'm a I'm a wet blanket. Um, I just <laughs> for me, it's like, yeah. Oh man, we don't have time for this. It's digital. No, it's, we really it's don't. Digital I scarcity. I I don't believe in it. You know what I mean? I believe the web is for everyone. Like, and injecting this world of digital scarcity is just dumb. I don't know. Bullshit. Yeah. It's but just, can you just, see how it like there, to some people? And I admit I I'm not bit by it and like oh I'm, I'm all in on it. I'm changing sure, sure, my avatar. Sure, sure. But that there's there's like you got different docs open. There's these tools and you're connecting them together and you're starting to you know you're starting to understand how the red you know, little lines go together and you know there's like a element of exploration and kind of th- to it that evokes literal fun. Yeah, yeah, you know? I, I I could understand that. I, like, uh, but I guess yeah. My thing is just it's not like I I just good for the world because that's probably true. Yeah, I just <laughs> think like the long term, like I, I like you and me. You know, it's like oh, you want to talk to Dave Rupert? Uh, like you got to buy my NFT. You know, I minted Dave coins, and you need Dave coins. You know, to, like listen to my podcast and whatever. You know, it's like. I just, I don't like the, like, it's like this, like, 
everyone has a Patreon or <laughs> is now like everyone's a commoditized item and or every JPEG is now commoditized. I just don't like that. I don't, I don't, that seems silly, but that's very healthy attitude. I far away from where I want to exist in life. But I, you know, and then people are always like, Oh, the artists get rich though. You know, people made it rich story behind that is probably not that it's probably, he gave him his friend some money who bought the thing and he got bought it back. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it was, it's just a, it's a stunt. You know what I mean? So all these big sales are just stunts, frauds and like, but it's not illegal because it's unregulated. And then you get into, and not saying like NFTs aren't worth anything, but then like I, I followed the, or saw this thread from this artist girl, her stuff's getting minted without her permission. So she's having to spend all her life days. I honestly feel like it's like mostly that. It's mostly that. So people just like, she has to spend her life like chasing down and copyright threading and whatever, yeah. getting takedowns. I can't even get into it, but we could talk offline about some, you know, copyright stuff. Oh, little I'm sure stuff that affects code pen in a way, but I really have to go. I'm so sorry. Super hard stop. Edition. We'll wrap it up. Thank you, dear listener, for downloading <laughs> this new podcast. Join in the drama next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, be sure to start our favorite up. Uh, follow us on Twitter at shop talk show, 16 tweets a month. However, the patreon.com slash shop talk show. Speaking of giving us money. To yeah. be our friends. Uh, but anyway, Discord, it's it's fun. There's a lot of people in the Discord and, and they're a lot of fun. So um and Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? No, shopdogshow.com. <laughs>